Hey, this is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative individuals who are shaping the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in land conservation or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time up high in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, adventurers, pretty much anyone who's doing important work, has an interesting story, and loves the American West. If you listened to the previous episode, then you know that I'm mixing things up a bit. This is part two of a two-part series in which I'm the one in the hot seat. This episode is a repost of my recent appearance on the Truth and Dare podcast, a wonderfully inspiring show that features in-depth conversations about personal growth, risk-taking, and living life to the fullest. In the first part of this two-part series, you'll remember it was a detailed discussion around my professional interests, land, water, and agriculture. This conversation on truth and dare is equally detailed and deep, but focused almost exclusively on my personal life. My journey from North Carolina to the West, my obsession with long-distance running, the crazy way that I met my wife, lessons learned from a semester of Knowles, how my wife and girl's influence has made me a much better person, and much, much more. Many of the books and ideas that we've talked about on Mountain and Prairie play a big role in my personal evolution, from wannabe real estate developer to conservationist. So I wanted to share this with you all. As you'll hear, the host Camden is a curious, kind, and natural conversationalist who likes to talk deeply about subjects of substance, not surface-level nonsense. I was turned on to her podcast when she interviewed my friend, artist, surfer, and family man Kevin Mursky, and I was thrilled and a little nervous when she asked me to join her on her show. But we had an instant connection and had a great conversation that I hope you'll enjoy. But regardless of my episode, if you're interested in personal growth and stories of people who've taken unconventional paths, then you should definitely give Truth and Dare a listen. Huge thanks to Camden for having me on. Huge thanks to you all for listening. And I'll be back with normal Mountain and Prairie episodes in the next few days. Thanks a lot. Welcome to the thought-provoking podcast, Truth and Dare, where you're invited to live life from the inside out. Find your courage to let go of the edge and align your life with your truth and your dare. And now, your host, Camden Hoke. Hello, hello, and welcome. It's Camden. We're at Truth and Dare, and you have landed here today, and I am so happy to welcome you, and I'm happy to welcome my guest today. So I'm not solo today. I love going solo, but I love having a conversation. Like It's one of the things that I feel like I thrive on, and actually, before we started, we were just talking about that. Like, Don't you love it when you can just sit down and have that connection and that vision talk and and not be like at the surface or that place of BS like I don't know maybe it sometimes can be uncomfortable but there's such growth there and such possibility and so that's really my intention in these conversations is that we get to hang out together and um, my guest today I'll tell you his name in a minute but I'm going to share a little bit about him because I I love sharing first so you can have this vision and then the name and then the voice and you get to put it all together so I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. Um, he combines nearly two decades of finance and real estate experience with a lifelong love of open space and wild places. He currently serves as the conservation director at Palmer Land Trust. This is an innovative and highly effective land conservation organi- organization that protects Southern Colorado's working agricultural lands recreational open space and stunning scenic vistas. Can you just see it? Like, I mean, so beautiful. Now, prior to that, he spent his career in the business world, having worked extensively in ranch brokerage, commercial real estate, and finance. His formal education also centered around business, and he holds a BA in economics and an MBA with a concentration in finance from Wake Forest University. As a passion project, he hosts the Mountain and Prairie podcast, which 
you guys got to listen to this. We're going to give you that in the resources section too. Amazing, amazing interviews. Um, he, uh, he, this particular, this podcast features long-term, long-form interviews with innovators of the American West and has been recognized by organizations, including the Aspen Institute and High Country News. Now, he has a life outside of all of this, even though he is this achieving, brilliant man. Outside of the office, he's focused on mountain sports and having run numerous 50 and 100 mile ultra marathons through the Western backcountry and also climbed Denali. Crazy, like adventure, amazing. He's going to fit right in here, right? He calls Colorado Springs home where he lives with his wife and two young daughters. So I want to welcome Ed Robertson to the show today. Welcome, Ed. Thank you for having me. That's uh, that. I have a hard time believing that that person is me. That you made it sounded really good. <laughs> I love that. Like that's one of the best parts, right? It's like when you hear somebody talk about you, right? It's like, oh my gosh, that's really neat. Is that me? You know, so as long as they're saying good stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh well, I'm so glad you're here, and I'm hoping that everybody's noticing that we both have southern accents here. So it may we may get a little more deeply southern, and we'll just see where this goes today, right? Yes, I hope so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want to kick this off with a question that you know is not surface because we're not about that, but right. Um, you know, if we were talking to your five-year-ago self, and I, I just put five in there, but maybe there's another number, maybe it's eight years or four years uh, at a pivotal point in your life. But if we were talking to that five-year-ago self, who would we be meeting today? Would, would it look different than you today? You know, I, I think it would look pretty similar on the surface, like at least in my professional world. I think it would be fairly similar. You know, I was living here in the West in Colorado. At that point, I was still in the ranch brokerage business, but I spent a lot of my personal energy um, and I did a lot of side projects focused on conservation. A lot of my business in the ranch brokerage world was based around working with conservation buyers and sellers and doing conservation deals. And so I had not yet made the transition into full-time conservation, but that was definitely on my mind. But I think the the main thing is I didn't have any kids at that point. I'd been married for about five years at that point and been with my wife for you know three years before we got married. And but I didn't we didn't have any kids yet. And um I've got an almost four-year-old and a, a one-year-old now. And so that is a huge, huge, huge change that has changed my life. Uh just hard to hard to even put it into words. You know, all the cliches you hear about being a parent are true for a reason uh, or, or cliches for a reason because they're true. And that, um, that really, really kind of changed my perspective on things and may have led to, you know, the, the thought process that eventually led me to, to walk away from the for-profit world and try to focus my energy on, on something that meant more to me. And, and also I didn't have my podcast at that point. And um, that has become a, a really big part of my life. Surprisingly, I would have never, guess that I would have a podcast, but I do. And so, um, so yeah, on the surface, pretty similar, but really a lot different um, when you go down a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So do you have girls or boys? Two girls, uh, oh, four-year-old. Yeah. yeah. She'll be okay. four in like a, a few weeks and then uh, a one-year-old. Okay. So we have two girls too, except a little different age. Uh, our youngest just turned 16 and our oldest turned 17 just a couple months ago. So wow. if, you, if you need to talk later and as you go along in the years, just call me up. Okay, I will. I can promise you I will. So, <laughs> so, so you know, were, was marriage always kind of in your mind and having a family or was that something that came as a surprise to you? Yeah, I think it was. Um, you know, I come from a, a great family and uh, great parents and I have a younger sister. And I mean, it's not something I really like that was a goal, you know, in the South, Southeast, sometimes that can be a goal for people or, or it's the idea like I have to get married at a certain age. I have to start having kids. It was never like that for me at all. And, um, you know, I, I, I actually, I met my wife. We, we sat down next to each other in the Dallas airport like randomly out of nowhere, I just sat down in this seat. I, I'd been on this airplane and the, the pilot said, the plane's broken. Everybody needs to get off. I'm sitting there in this seat. And then this 
cute blonde girl sits down next to me and we start talking. And next thing you know, three years later, we're married. I mean, it's insane. And so <laughs> there was no, uh, and now there are two humans on earth because of that. But there, there was, you know, I think I always wanted that. And I definitely wanted kids, um, but it was never like a goal. It, mm-hmm. And I'm glad it wasn't because I think it, it, it all happened at the right time, you know, just as it should have. And again, in a way that I could have never predicted. I love that. Those are like the best situations and the best adventures that we go on in life is like when we don't expect something and then you see all the things that grow out of that. That's what I call like an awe moment or experience. Oh, yeah. It's I mean, it, it, being open to those, I think is key. I think it, it can be easy to get hung up on focusing in on your goal and your plan and this kind of thing. But the sometimes a, a lot of the best stuff comes when you're not on the plan. I mean, I think my whole life is a, is a result of that, really. Hmm. Well, okay. Something just popped into my head. I want to ask you this because I, you know, obviously come from this women's perspective, and I'm a recovered controller. Yeah. As as a as a person who's been in finance, and you know, numbers are very like cut and dried and things like that. Did you ever consider yourself a controlling person, or you, were you always more free flowing? I think I've always been pretty f- free flowing. You know, I. And I think when you when you hear the the finance stuff and the number stuff, it's um, you know I think in a way I, I was able to kind of will myself into doing that. I don't know that it that it really comes naturally, and I and I wouldn't have known that. I, you know, if you talk about the five year ago person, I mm-hmm. I would have even known wouldn't have known there was any option other than that. Um, but I, I think I've I think I've generally kind of been open to to experiences and open to kind of going with the flow. I mean, I I think I can be very um, hard on myself just about uh, accomplishing my goals, but it's not necessarily like this very detailed plan with all these numbers and metrics I need to hit. I mean, there's just like, I set a big goal and then I get it done. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say that I've been all that controlling about things. I think I can generally go with the flow pretty, pretty well. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, yeah. and I know we have a lot, you have shared with me that you've had a few experiences in your life, which are quite adventurous. We're going to be diving into some of those as in our conversation, but I yeah. want to, I want to also touch on back on the parenting. Cause I know, sure. you know, a lot of our listeners are parents and they're, they're juggling, you know, and especially with young kids, like you have, you know, an entrepreneurial sense and you're in conservation and what you're doing and you're also married. And um, how has it been introducing kids into the mix? Like I know there can be lovely things and then there can also be challenges. So go into a few of those for us. Yeah, I'd say um, with, with one kid, it it only improved things uh, for me as far as just looking at it completely selfishly, not thinking about it, you know, any other prism other than just like, what am I going to accomplish? And I think it, it forced me to tighten up my schedule um, and it forced me to be more efficient. And, and I was still, you know, with one kid, I was still training uh, for long runs. And at that point, we lived in Boulder, Colorado, and we lived about three blocks from the trails. And, you know, when we had, when my oldest daughter was like one and a half. I think, I mean, I was training for a hundred miler and, um, you know, that's, that's a lot of time, uh, just spent out on the trails running and it, you know, because I wanted to be home with her and with my wife, I would get up at, you know, I'd be running at four in the morning and, and I'd go out and run 30 miles and, you know, do all the run all over these mountains. I'd run for like eight hours and, but I'd still, I'd be back for lunch. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I would have never considered that ever before we had kids, you know, before we had kids, I'd kind of mess around and do the things and then go running it around lunchtime and get done around dinner time. And it was just kind of go with the flow, whatever. And I, I found over the course of having these kids that I like, I like having those constraints. I think having constraints for me is, is good versus just a free for all, do whatever you want, because when I can do whatever I want, I I end up not doing anything. And Mm -hmm. so these, these kids put these really tight constraints and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, I, I I would rather be with them than running. Um, but I know the running is important for me, you know, for a lot of reasons. And so, um, you know, with one kid, I, I found it was, it just improved things with two kids, you know, you've got it, you've got the, the system really tight. And then the second kid comes and there's no, there's no give in the system when you're doing all the different stuff that my wife and I do, you know, sports work, then this podcast thing on the side and everything else. And so it's, um, 
that, that has been a challenge. Um, but again, it's just forced me to go harder and be more efficient. And I, I like that. And I feel like I'm at, a, at my best when I'm going as hard as I possibly can. My, I'm obsessed with Theodore Roosevelt and that's kind of how he was. And I balance it with, with things. It's not like a, a manic kind of thing. Cause I balance it with meditation and, and it's not like I'm working myself into a frenzy, but if I can get up at five and go as hard as I can all day and go to bed at 10 and haven't spent any time in there messing around, that's a, that's a wonderful day to me. And the mm-hmm. more, and the more I can do that over and over and over, the better I feel. It's not like I like doing it when I'm in the middle of it. Um, but, but I know that that is the recipe for me to, to be, to be at my best and be happy, which translates into my family being happy is if I'm in a better mood, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. totally makes sense. I'm hearing like creatively fulfilled. I'm hearing, and my, my youngest daughter says this a lot. She's like, it's satisfying, (laughs) you know, like at the end of the day, it's satisfying. And it's even more than that. You're just like, this feels really good because you've had your personal space. You've really honored that, you know, by running and meditating and whatever that is. You've honored that space of knowledge and serving others and being with your family and loving and connection. So it just feels like a real honoring practice that you have for yourself. I think so. And I think I just thought about it as you were saying that. I mean, I think the, the key to me, that makes it um, a good experience is I like everything I'm doing. You know, I like my job and I like the podcast and I like my family and I like exercising. Um, or at least I say I like the idea. You know, when you're throwing up on the side of the trail, that's <laughs> not great. But, <laughs> like but, the after effects of how you feel, right? It, yeah, exactly. And, and I think that would be a lot harder if I didn't like, especially my job. You know, if I didn't, if I didn't like that, that's minimum of eight hours a day doing something you don't like. And I think that could be draining, but it's almost like everything fuels, fuels it. So this endless cycle. And, and as long as I keep the, my foot on the gas, um, it only gets better, I think. Um, and, and that's not just me. I mean, my wife is, is amazing. And she, she is a very good, you know, kind of unbiased third party who can gauge my moods and I can be moody. And she, you know, she would agree that, you know, when I'm going hard, as hard as I can, um, I am, I'm at my best. So I think that's a, and it's hard. I mean, it's difficult. It's not easy getting up at five in the morning every day and all that kind of stuff, but, but the overall, um, result is, is great for me personally. Mm -hmm. I hear that. Okay. I don't think we've talked about this, but did you know that we lived in Boulder too? I don't think I did know that. Um, no, I didn't know that. When were you there? We were there from 2011 to 2013. Oh, well, we, we were there at the same time. We were there. No, uh, yeah. I love it. Um, I lived up, right up near Chautauqua. So we lived over in North Boulder um, because we just moved from Georgia. Long story. We had like a 10-year journey that we were gone from California. So um, we had two little kids. We lived in St. Simons for seven years off the yeah. coast of Georgia there. And then we just were like, all right, we need to edge our way back out west because we always knew we wanted to be back this way. And I was working at a company and it was like, I checked out Boulder and I'm like, this is cool. People are happy. They're exercising. Yep. They're outside. They're eating good food. Did you feel that way? I was like, wow, that's awesome, you know? Yeah, it's cool. It's um, And the landscape is cool and the trails yeah. are, are really cool. You know, over the court, you know, we moved there. My wife had lived there lived there when we met and she had been there before, you know, a long time before. But we were both in grad school. Then we got married. We lived abroad for a year. Then we moved to, to, um, to Boulder. And I'll tell you, though, just in that time period, like 2010 through when we left, uh, like a year and a half ago, it in some ways it changed because a, a lot of these uh, tech companies um, opened up offices there, and it it took all you know the, the real estate prices went through the roof, and it it started taking on a, a bit of a different um, kind of vibe than it than it used to when, when we were there. And I mean, it, and the thing is, I, I kind of do my own thing, and I don't you know it's not like I'm hanging out downtown and going shopping and that kind of thing, but. So I, I didn't affect me all that much, but, um, you know, I was there for the, for the mountains and for the trails and to be able to get out on those trails. And so it was, it was great. It was great for that. I mean, there, I don't think I'll ever live anywhere with, with that kind of access to that, that much vertical gain and that many miles. It's, it's awesome. 
Mm-hmm. I agree. We live not too far from Sanitas, right? Yes. So that was great to go up there. And then Luke was always, you know, doing different hikes and we just loved it. And I agree with you. I think that we were just there in February. We have some really good friends there and I have a couple of clients there. And, you know, number one, the traffic is like crazy and a lot has changed. Um, you know, I feel like since even we left and, uh, you know, like you said, there's some tech companies, there's a lot of building and it's, it's not quite the small town feel that it had. I felt like then we were there and, um, and yet you're like, well, okay, there's cool entrepreneurial growth. So where do you stop that? Or do you, you know? And so, yeah, it's becoming something different. That's all. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the way it goes. It's a cool place and and that's what happens in cool places. And so it's, um, yeah, no, no bitterness on my part there, but we we found a, a really good deal down here in the Springs with similar outdoor, um, access and, and just kind of a, a, a lifestyle that, that fits with what we're interested in at this point in our lives, which is cool. Well, and I love the outdoor, like mountain biking and, um, and hiking. There's nothing like that air. So I remember like, you know, growing up in the South, it's like super humid. Right. And I just had the hardest time running. I was like, I could be on the soccer team and I would hide in the bushes as they were coming around for like the (laughs) other laps because I was like, Oh, it's just too thick. I can't even breathe. Yes. um, moving out to California and then being in Colorado, even with the altitude did not bother me in Colorado, but there's something about the air that was just like energized me. Did you feel that way? Yeah, I think it's just, uh, it's arid and it's, it's, it's clear. The sun's a little bit hotter. Um, you know, not having that humidity is huge and, uh, it's definitely energizing. You know, the, just the landscape in general is, mm-hmm. sounds kind of silly to say, but I mean, it, the, the whole, just being out there in the mountains, whether it's in Boulder or up in the real mountains, um, it's definitely energizing. I mean, I feel like that is, um, that's fuel for me. I mean, it's, it's almost like medicine for me and that it, it keeps me, uh, the, the mental, um, the mental benefits far outweigh any physical benefits of, of the exercise. I just, and it has to be outside, you know, I, I don't get any mental, if anything, I come out of gyms kind of halfway depressed cause they're just kind of depressing. <laughs> But, but being out on, being out, you know, on the, yeah, outside and whether it's, you know, in the mountains or in your neck of the woods surfing, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. It is. It's beautiful. Now, how did you get into like where, if somebody's like, I want to run an ultra marathon, like where did you start? When did this start in your life? I signed up for a 50 miler and I never even run a marathon. And I just said, all right, I'm going to run a 50 miler. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Serious. (laughs) Yeah, I am. I I think we had moved to town after, you know, we had moved to town into Boulder and, you know, that's everybody in Boulder is super fit. And I, I had seen some, we live right there on the trails and I just started trail running. I remember when I left my house, I, I, the farthest race I'd ever run during grad school, I ran a race one time that was 18 miles. And, and I, that was, I could not believe, I could not believe that I'd gone that far. It was the craziest thing. And I, and so then I started just seeing some of these ultra runner guys. And I read that book born to run like a lot of people did. And it just kind of intrigued me. And I started, you know, I was right there on the trails. And so I started doing more and more. And I, I'm kind of had this personality trait where I don't do anything unless I have a really hard, almost scary goal. And uh, I, I wasn't all that interested in a marathon for some reason. Cause I never run, I've been running since college, but I'd never run a marathon. And um, so I just signed up for the Leadville 50 and um, just started running and, it, you know, trial and error, just go out. And the key about ultra running is the funny thing about it is if you're anybody except for professional, a lot of it is not running. A lot of it is walking and hiking and, you know, trying to just kind of keep going. And um, so I signed up for the Leadville 50 and um, trained really hard. It was I was really scared. I wasn't going to be able to do it. And, and was able to knock it out. You know, it was, the training was hard, just trying to figure out the, the nutrition. I mean, I think, I think when you're, if you've never done any of that stuff, you can get there physically. You know, that is not the, the question. The, the, the real kind of science experiment aspect of ultra running is figuring out the nutrition because you got to be able to fuel yourself for that long. And some people can do well with certain foods and some people can't. And there's just this trial and error period of figuring out exactly what food will work and what won't. And, and there's a lot of throwing up and a lot of just having upset stomachs. But I remember I'd been training and training. I couldn't 
get the food right. And like right at three or four hours of running, my stomach was starting to hurt real bad and I started getting real frustrated. And then one day I figured it out. Um, I got the right combo of food and it worked. And then all of a sudden I was like, well, I, I can do this. And, and I mean, you, you literally can run for like 48 hours nonstop. I mean, you can or run and walk and just stop moving. I mean, I've gone for 34 hours straight before without stopping. It's the craziest wow. thing. I, and I'm not, I'm not a great athlete. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't a good athlete on team sports and, uh, it's kind of the, it's kind of three things, you know, the, the physical part, obviously. And, and then, but that's kind of the easiest part. And then the, the nutrition part, um, and then the mental part, just keeping a, keeping yourself in a good headspace, not letting yourself get negative, um, staying upbeat, forcing yourself to smile. Um, it's amazing how effective that is, you know, at three in the morning, when you're out in the middle of the woods, you do that and it gives you energy and it's pretty, pretty neat. Wow. That's amazing. I love that you said smile because it does, it changes the energy, you know, when uh, people that do EFT, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you're smiling and you're tapping and things like that, because it is like, you're looking at, am I at that low vibration, you know, that frequency, like, where am I right now? And, you know, or am I at the high frequency? So question for you, what was the secret to the nutrition? What did you discover? It was funny because what I discovered then now doesn't work anymore, but it was, it was just a, a certain combo of these certain, um, uh, you know, energy foods, these like mm-hmm. cliff bars. And I can't even remember exactly what it was. And I think the main, one of the main thing was just upping the amount of water I was drinking. I wasn't drinking enough water, but as I did those things over the years, I try to do one race a year and, um, I, I moved very, very far away from all those goos and you know cliff shots and all that kind of uh, fake food into more real food and more like I'd eat a lot of nut butters you know almond butters and that kind of thing and almost you know those goos are just they're basically pure sugar and I think of that as like jet fuel and when you're running very very slow for 12 15 20 30 hours you need slow burning like coal instead you don't need jet fuel you need coal and so you think about the high fat in nut butters, almond butters, that's kind of perfect for that. And like I did a race one time and they had a bunch of bacon at the aid stations and I ate bacon the whole time. And it was great fuel because it's got salt, um, protein and a lot of fat. And, um, that fat is, is key, but it's, you know, everybody's different and, and there's no way to figure it out other than do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, interesting bacon. That just, I had this visual in my mind, you know, like I remember those little stations that I've like volunteered at and stuff like that and having a table with bacon. I've never seen that, but that was an interesting visual. I just yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> but you're, right. It's finding what works, you know, and mm-hmm. everybody's got something and you don't know until you get into the experience and you start to experiment or, you know, some people might say, well, it's too hard. I just can't do this. I'm going to give up. But it's like, no, just keep going. Like you can figure this out. There's a solution, you know? So. Yeah. And that's the, you know, I, I don't really consider myself like, I don't really identify as a, as a runner. I don't think of myself as a runner or, or a mountain climber or any of that. I, I just do these things. And I mean, I, the reason I do them is because they make me better at real life, the stuff that matters, you know, if you can, or at least in theory that they, they do, you know, if you can get your head around that kind of the suffering that's involved in some of these, these things, it can sometimes make it easier if to deal with kind of silly, uh, you know, uh, kind of surface level nonsense at work or, or that kind of thing. I mean, the, the whole point of it to me is the end, the, the, the race or the, the, summit or whatever is not the end goal by any means. I mean, the, the end goal, the process of training and then the, the lessons learned from those experiences. I think that's, that's why I do it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you're right on that. I think that, you know, we start to see then how resilient we are. That's where we build that place of courage. I mean, that's why this podcast is called Truth and Dare. And it's called that because that's how I realized I was living and how I grew was that when I was younger, I was like, I was kind of afraid or I didn't even really know what was true for me because I was so afraid of judgment. I had low Mm -hmm. self-esteem, low confidence and all that. But I was the first one to take the dare. And especially if I've been drinking a little bit, I'd be like, all right, yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to try that. I'll jump off that bridge or I'll funnel that beer or I'll do this or whatever. And I could do anything. But I realized I was like, well, wait a minute, there is a healthy way to do this. right? (laughs) So, so let me choose that way. So it was like still going to the edge and like skydiving or ultra marathon, whatever it is that that person takes on that, that is their own dare and then really experiencing it and 
and having to call upon things maybe you've never had to call upon before to come to a solution to get through it, right? Completely. I completely agree with all that. I mean, I think that is, um, it's just, a. It's, for me, it, it is kind of silly. Like I heard the guy, Yvonne Chouinard, who started Patagonia, I heard him, he was quoting somebody who referred to mountain climbers as conquistadors of the useless. Like in the end, it's a, it's a silly thing. And, and if you look at the results of these races or anything, like I'm not good at it. It's not like I'm coming in in the top 10 or anything. I mean, but, but the, just the process of putting yourself in these extremely hard, physically hard situations. Um, I, I just think there's so many benefits of that. And that's, that's one thing I want to somehow figure out how to do to my, you know, I want my girls to be able to experience that with, I'm not going to be some crazy, you know, coach dad trying to push them or, or take out my insecurities on them. But there are just so many um, important lessons to be learned, at least in my life from physical struggle. And uh, I mean, I'd say most of the, the most important lessons in my life have come from just getting my ass whipped physically uh, in one way or the other. Uh, and and you, there's just no way to fake that other than to do it. Mm-hmm. And we remember that, you know, it's like we remember getting through tough times. We remember when we fall down and get back up. We remember when we checked in with ourselves and had to come up with some sort of solution, even in like moments of like emergency when you're out there and you're like, okay, what do I need to do? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a big thing. And I think it's important to equip your daughters with that because I'll tell you, you know, I've been through some situations and I know a lot of women and even men can say they've been in situations where they, have felt threatened in certain situations and, you know, been with boys or whatever's been going on. And it's like, you've got to be able to say no, you've got to be able to touch into that deep intuition and be able to speak for what you need, you know, and speak from that true voice, you know? I completely know. And I think that the ability to speak up comes from confidence and, and confidence, I think comes from a lot of, a lot of things, but I've gained so much confidence personally from these hard physical, um, physical things and, and the, you know, they're hard physically, but that means they're hard mentally. And then you're forced to get through it. And then you realize you can, and it just builds up that confidence a little bit more and you keep doing it over and over. And, um, I think that's where sports are important. I'm sure there are other ways to do it and I will customize, you know, however my daughters need it, but mm-hmm. it's, it's so important. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, thinking about those girls, that, that is the, it's much more important that they get those benefits than I I do because I don't need it really at this point, but they're going to need it for everything they have ahead of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I was listening to one of your podcasts and I heard, overheard you say that you've been to Knowles. Yes. Uh, and participated in that. And I wondered, you know, cause you, you had your first trip out West and fell in love with that. I want to hear a little bit about that too, about Knowles and your love of outdoors. And I think that's part of building resilience too. So Will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I credit my experience on Knowles with being one of the most formative, if not the most formative experience of my life. I mean, obviously, the, the influence of my parents and my family, um, but there are kind of two experiences that I, I, I credit. And I went to boarding school, which was a, a wonderful experience, which really got me on a great path. And then, um, then during college, I went on Knowles, and that just changed my whole life. Um, as far as just on a practical level, learning these outdoor skills, you know, that's where Knowles stands for National Outdoor Leadership School. And it's, it's a little bit different than Outward Bound and that Knowles is, was basically created to train Outward Bound instructors. And so Outward Bound is great. My wife's done three Outward Bound courses, and, but their focus is more character development um, through the outdoors, whereas Knowles is just hardcore skills development. And through that, you get character development, but it's you know, you're learning mountaineering, you're learning climbing, you're learning sailing. And so during college, I did a semester of in the Pacific Northwest, and it was three months of uh, backpacking, mountaineering, um, rock climbing, sailing, and, you know, all over. We were in North Cascades, we were down at Smith Rock, we hiked along the coast in Olympic Peninsula, um, sailed up in, in British Columbia. And the hilarious thing is I got college credit for this thing. It was as if, it was as if I was in college for a semester, <laughs> like the biggest scam ever. And I mean, but, but the thing is, it was the most educational experience I had in from college. I don't remember any college was such a waste yeah. of time for me. And that Knowles experience, I mean, I think about it daily and I'm, I'm 20 years out from it now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, you learn so much. Don't I mean, couldn't everybody benefit from something like that? I mean, this is survival skills. This is living skills. And while college is great, it's like having that experience. Well, how would that benefit if everybody had that too? Oh, it, it just gave me, it gave me so much confidence. It gave me kind of when I think about that experience, I mean, I learned all these skills that have translated and everything I've done. And I think it laid the groundwork for my current career. And, but I mean, the, the main thing, the main takeaway was my group was nine guys, I think age 18 through maybe like 27. So just a bunch of loudmouth guys in the woods together. And, and it was, it was great, but towards the end, so we had been together for you know two and a half months. And then they say the last section, they put us on these 34 foot sailboats. And so we'd been out there in the wild you know, in the wide open spaces, then they cram us in this boat together and we were about to kill each other just because, you know, a bunch of testosterone fueled guys just, you know, at each other's throats. And I remember there was a point where I, I realized I was like, I was so, so ready to go home at that point. And then I realized like, all right, I'm here in British Columbia sailing in this beautiful area, doing exactly what I want to do. And I said, the only thing I can control here is my attitude. I can't control what any of these guys are doing. I can't control this, you know, mouthing off everybody's doing. And that, idea of I can only control myself is is such a valuable lesson that has carried over um and, and has served me well in in just regular life and, and work and, and everything. And um yeah, Knowles, I cannot recommend that enough um uh, for, for people. It was just a a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful experience. Very, very well run, safe. You know, it is you're you're climbing mountains, you're hanging off cliffs and all that, but it is safe. And um for any any parents who have kids, you know, high school, college, I I, I couldn't recommend it enough. In some ways, I wish I'd done it earlier. Mm-hmm. It sounds amazing, and I wonder, you know, too. I, I keep thinking of you as a younger boy. What when you were little? Did you were you one of those kids where you knew what you wanted to be, or you know, did you have any ideas on that, or what you're doing now? Is that a complete surprise to you? Well, what I'm doing now is a complete complete surprise. I mean, I would have never thought that I was doing kind of anything that I've done. I mean, like I, some of my, when I was a kid, you know, I used to think about mountain climbing trips or whatever. I thought that was cool, but I didn't really understand it. It just seemed like something interesting. You know, I think every little boy would think that. Um, yeah. When I was a kid, I think I wanted to, I really wanted to be a doctor. That was kind of my, my goal and, and what I thought I wanted to do. And I think the reason for that is because my, my grandfather, who was in the same town, the small town where I grew up. He was the, like the town doctor and the town mayor and a real, a real leader in that town. And my, my dad has gone on to take on a similar role. He's not a doctor. He was in, in business, but, you know, very similar kind of a, a community leader. And looking back on it, I don't know that I really cared about medicine as much as I just admired, um, admired him and thought he, he just seemed like a, he was kind of, kind of gruff, but, but, just a, a real uh, uh, amazing guy. Like he, he was the mayor when that small town went through civil rights integration and, you know, just this, you know, like no joke, like the Ku Klux Klan, you know, threatening mm-hmm. him uh, because he was obviously on the side of integration and having to stand up to that kind of nonsense. And, um, and I, and so I think I, I just had doctor in my head and I'm, I'm so glad that didn't work out. Um, but uh, yeah, that, I thought I'd say doctor was it. And I it mm-hmm. really, there's really been nothing. I, I think it's less doctor and more. Uh, I think that the idea behind that, behind being a leader and doing something you're passionate about, I think that is kind of the energy I was attracted to with both him and with my dad um, is just this, this idea of, of doing work that is important and being a leader in your community, wherever that is. I think that is, um, more important than actually what I ended up doing, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Mm-hmm. Totally makes sense. I totally hear you. And I, you know, I look at like you're in conservation and I wondered if you share a little bit about that with us because um, gosh, there's so much land, like where we live here, we're in Marin County, we have a lot of free and open space and we know yeah. it's never going to be built on. There's not a lot of that that's left in certain areas. So what drew you to conservation? Was it something you fell into? Did it find you? How did that happen? Um, kind of crazy story, really. I, so I moved to Jackson, Hole, Wyoming in 2005 to sell ranches. I was in the commercial real estate business in North Carolina and, um, I'd always wanted to live out West. 
where I'd gotten more and more focused on living out West, but I, I, ne- I think I took myself too seriously at age 22 just to go be a ski bum like I should have. Yeah. And, uh, and so finally I was like, I, man, I got to get out there and found this about, found out about jobs selling ranches. I couldn't believe that was a real job. And I just kept hassling companies and I was selling commercial real estate. So I did have real estate experience, but I finally got a group to hire me and I moved out of Jackson Hole and started doing that. And it was during the real estate boom and it was full speed, you know, just people, people making so much money and so many transactions happening. And I, I worked with a lot of real estate developers and they were kind of my clients. And I saw, you know, I felt like for every dollar I was making, they were making a hundred dollars. Cause you know, at that time it was crazy and anybody could be a real estate developer. And so I actually went back to business school with the intention of being a real estate developer. That's why I went to school, which is the exact opposite of what I'm doing now. But during business school, I had a, I had a pretty significant health scare um, combined with the economy crashed. And so I kind of had a perfect storm of all this crazy stuff happened that forced me, I think I was 31 at the time, maybe I was 30, that forced me to, it almost gave me like a midlife crisis because I I'd, I'd went to business school completely focused on making as much money as possible. And, um, then all of a sudden I, that health scare made me realize that I don't, you know, I don't think I really care about that as much as I, as I thought I did. And the economy crashed and you saw these kind of clown developers had half built developments on these, in these beautiful mountain valleys. And then they just declared bankruptcy and walked away and, mm-hmm. and they had ruined these landscapes and, and the, the landscape of the West is fragile and it's not going to grow back in a generation. And so they had, they had ruined these places. And I, and so that's kind of what started the process of me understanding the importance of conservation. I still didn't really understand what it meant or what land conservation was or anything like that, but that changed my perspective. And, um, and when I got back into the ranch brokerage business, I decided to do it in a way focused on the conservation side of things, you know, trying to work with conservation minded landowners, um, and you know, it, that, that worked well, um, to a point, but you know, when you're, when you're a broker, you are, you have a fiduciary duty to your client to make them as much money as possible. So if you're working for somebody trying to sell their beautiful ranch and a developer comes along and says, they're going to pay more than the conservation group, you know, you got to sell it to the developer. Mm-hmm. And there just came a point where I, I realized that I had a lot of great experience, um, professionally and educationally and, that that could be better applied to doing something that was important to me versus just chasing dollars. Cause yeah, I mean, I was working with good people and doing some, I did some cool, cool deals that, that led to permanently conserve open space. But, um, it was, it was, you know, half at best. And so now I decided about a year ago to go all in on the conservation and it was the best decision I've made. Hmm. I love hearing that, you know, and what I also love hearing and what we talk about a lot is just a personal evolution. Yes. Um, You know, there's this trust that things show up, they really do. And they speak to your heart. And it's like, am I going to listen? Or am I caught in fear? Like, where am I going from here? Even when you had that scare, you know, like looking at these things as showing us opportunities and possibilities rather than catastrophizing and getting stuck in them. And I think we have many midlife, I call them opportunities. I don't think they're just at 50. Um, as when I remember my parents having one and both buying Corvettes at the same time and thinking, <laughs> where in the hell are me and brother going to sit? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I, I look at it like it is an opportunity and um, and it just means there's something new for you. So I love that evolution that you're really following and being true to, you know? Yeah, it's cool. And, I, and another thing worth mentioning that uh, kind of I think is the most important ingredient in all that is I, I met my wife in that airport just before I went to grad school. And uh, I mean, I was in the process of applying. It was like the winter before I went to grad school. And I mean, her influence cannot be overstated as far as one, giving me the confidence to actually consider doing other things. And then two, just she is a very uh, reasonable and, and she spent most of her career in international development and, um, you know, has a kind of a humanitarian's uh, outlook on things and, and has professional experience to back that up. And I think I, I just kind of had this simple idea of, you get out of school and you make as much money as possible and then seeing her and 
she's 10 times smarter than me and, and 10 times more accomplished, but seeing that she's applying this brain power that she has, that she could literally be a rocket scientist. She's like a genius. And she's applying that to making the world better. I think that um, that kind of cracked this shell I had around my head about this silly idea of just, you got to make more money. And I don't know where that came from because that's not how my parents are, but I, I definitely had it. And thankfully, my wife uh, helped me see how kind of what a loser's game that can be, uh, just chasing chasing dollars, you know. Mm-hmm. What's your wife's name? Kim. Kim, I hope you're listening to this. She's <laughs> really beautiful and he loves you so much. And you sound amazing. So I hope I get to talk to you sometime, Kim. Yeah, she, so, she is amazing. <laughs> um, you know what? I think maybe it's the world because, you know, I have my oldest is getting ready and applying to colleges and things like that. And the things that she comes home and says, I'm like, we don't even talk about that at home. Like, where's this coming from? And it's like, well, I need to go out and make money. Or she'll say, well, I'm going to go here and I can get a job and work my way through school. And I'm like, we never told you had to do that. Like, where's that coming from? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, all these different things, or I got to get out and make money, or I need to just go to these schools. And I'm thinking, I think a lot of that happens in school, just the wave of the world, the wave of what's happening around us. Yes. It's the system. Um, and yeah, you know, through my jobs, especially selling ranches, I've I've had the sometimes good fortune, sometimes nightmare of hanging around extremely wealthy people like billionaires. And and what I found with the majority of them is they're not in it for money. Like they're playing a different game, and money is a byproduct. I mean, I think they they've obviously got something in them that wants to accumulate, but but as far as the the end game of making money. Like Bill Gates has not did not do what he did to to make a lot of cash. He was playing a different game. Same with Warren Buffett. And, and I think people who are just chasing a paycheck it, it's just a very hollow thing. And you know, I don't I don't have anything against the capitalist system or anything like that. I mean, and, and um, you know, obviously the the way the economy is set up has made my life very very uh, nice, but. I think you, you, there's got to be some passion fueling it, and if my, and everybody needs to make a living, obviously. But I think the 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 pa- there needs to be passion fueling it, whether it's you know my passion for land conservation or some of these like Bill Gates, you know, his passion to to win a, to win no matter what. But if you're just chasing money, you're not gonna. I couldn't imagine you're gonna get that far. You know what I mean? I do, and I know Richard Branson talks about that too. It's like if yeah. you just do. It's not going to be fulfilling. And I think sometimes, too, just chasing that could be based on something that's fear-based or feeling inadequate or lack in some way, too. And uh, what I know, what I believe is that we're vibration and frequency, and money is simply an energy as well. So if if we're chasing it, then it could be staying away from us, especially if we're coming from a place of lack. So it's like, okay, what is my priority? What do I really want? What do I want to be doing in the world? And, And how am I being, you know, and how is that affecting that? doing. So a little maybe woo-woo, but that's where I come from. And it is looking at what are the priorities here, you know, mm-hmm. because if you want to make a ton of money, you can, yes. and it depends on where you're coming from, but you don't want to use that as your main fulfillment factor because that's not going to do it. Yeah. You cannot, you can never reach it. I mean, it's never, uh, there's always going to be somebody with more and I'm not, you know, every, again, everybody needs to make a living and I'm not trashing anybody's career choices, but I just feel like now that I'm doing something that, that, is um, kind of fills this this part of my system that I didn't even really know that was an option. You know, being excited and getting this fulfillment from work that I didn't know was possible. It, now looking back, it's like, man, I don't I don't understand what I was doing before. But you yeah. know, all part of the process. Well, yeah, and you found it from the inside. If we're looking for things outside to fill us, you know, and that's our first place we look, I think there's there's an issue that's not going to match, that's not going to happen. But if we first look inside and we're following our alignment evolution or what we're meant to be doing or what I would call intuitive purpose, then we're coming from the inside, you know, yep, and yep. a very different place uh, to build your life from the inside out. I agree completely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, so, oh, so obviously the podcast is called Truth and Dare. And I wanted to know for you, and we've touched around it a little bit as we've been talking, but what is your, how would you define truth as it relates to your true voice? You know, it's hard for me to say, um, again, I feel like when, 
when I met Kim combined with some of those other crazy experiences, it, it caused me to a lot of the kind of nonsense to, to break away. And I was able to kind of pursue more what I wanted to pursue. And I'm, I'm not saying it was easier that I instantly figured it out or anything like that. But I think, um, I don't know. It, it's just hard to, to really f- try to drill down and figure out what, <laughs> what is true underneath what you're doing. I mean, I think for me, it was a case of trying a lot of different stuff and then kind of find, finally ending up into something that I'm, I'm passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. both, both work, uh, professional work and, and the podcast stuff and family and, and all that. And it, it seems to have all kind of come together in the last three or four years, which is, which is really cool. Um, but I don't know how I would have found it other, otherwise, because mm-hmm. like I said, everything I'm doing now, I, I didn't even know any of it existed. I mean, po- podcast didn't exist. Um, I didn't know anything about land conservation. And so it was kind of this process of just continuously trying new things and then finding something that, um, that fit. And mm-hmm. I wish, I, I wish somebody could have told me like, this is what you do to find out what your, your, the, the truth is, or, or your true purpose or the you know, work you can do that will be fulfilling. But I, I do I, you know, honestly, I looking back, I don't know that there was any way to do it other than just kind of smashing against the walls, <laughs> hitting the mm-hmm. garden rails until I, until I figured it out. So I think it's just, yeah that embracing the the process is, is huge, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. So let me talk about intuition for a moment. Do you feel like you're very intuitive and you have this um, space of whether it's listening or feeling or even seeing things for your life? I am. I think I am intuitive. I think I'm, I'm intuitive with people. Um, mm-hmm. People have told me that. Uh, I think I can, I think I can get reads on people pretty pretty quickly. I'm not saying I figure out everything or make some judgment about them right off the bat, but I think generally I, I can get a good idea of what's going on in a situation with people um, and, and relationships between people. I think that that serves me well in, in career stuff. Um, but I, yeah, I think I, I think I, I think, and I think I've gotten more intuitive um, as I've gotten older or, or relied more on that instinct which is interesting because you hear about people say, as you get older, you get more conservative and kind of stuck in your ways. But, you know, on a political spectrum, I've gotten a ton, unbelievably more liberal the older I get, and I just see it only continuing. And then I've gotten more kind of creative and more, you know, focus on, you know, being intuitive versus just data. And it's kind of interesting because it's the exact opposite of what you hear a lot of people do as they get old. Right, right. I'm hearing you. So, um, you know, I I also think, well, I think you're very intuitive. It feels like um, that because several reasons that you said, but also you have some great conversations just from me listening to your podcast. I'm like, you're able to connect in. You're very easy to talk to like this. You know, I find that people who are very connected within themselves and know themselves on a certain level feel very comfortable being out and having these conversations that are, you know, um, deeper and more about vision and not so surface. So to me, that's part of being intuitive too. Yeah. And there's probably something about, you know, being willing to be a little vulnerable and and because nobody's going to open up to you unless you open up to them. And so you got to, you know, I think there's got to be some authenticity there and being willing to be, be vulnerable about, you know, tell stuff about you yourself that, that may, may surprise people. And I think I I love it. I mean, I, I can't stand having surface level and the older I get, the more frustrated I get with that. Just these kind of surface level nonsense conversations and, when I can talk with people about cool ideas or cool books or I'm just very, very curious. And so um, that podcast has been a great outlet to, to kind of um, quench that, that desire I have. I love that. And I love the word curious. And I want to, I want you to share how the podcast was born. I want you to share a little bit about what it was like to birth it. Cause it's like a baby too. And you birth, you had your children born and you had the podcast born. So talk a little bit, tell me about how the podcast got started. Well, kind of two ways. Um, one is I, as we've talked about, I, I kind of inhabit all these kind of strange worlds that, that may not seem all that connected, like the, the ranching world and the farming world and then land conservation and then endurance sports and just all these. And I, I read a ton and I, I have all these different interests, but I found in my, my work and hobbies that I'd meet all these super interesting people doing this, you know, that, that were involved in all these little worlds I, I was involved in. And 
first of all, they were just all really, really cool and interesting. And then second of all, there was this overlap where um, between all these worlds, like some hardcore right wing, maybe like a Trump supporting type rancher had a lot of similarities with a far, far left wing Bernie Sanders supporting ultra runner, you know, this, this love of open space, love of public lands. And, and it's just seemed like there was all these commonalities that nobody else was really seeing or exploring. And I just thought, man, I, I bet, uh, I bet that could be an interesting podcast. And I would drive so much from my job. I was always listening to podcasts and I thought, I bet, I bet I could do that. And then kind of going back to my, that, that endless thing about making more money. I also thought if I do this, it'll help me sell more ranches. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll make, I'll make a lot of money selling real estate. And, uh, and so I started it, um, just with, started with people I knew, you know, working in the, the ranching world and the conservation world and the athletics world. And, um, just started, start, just started doing it. And, um, really with no expectation, it did lead to a little bit of business here and there, but pretty quickly or not quickly, but like over the course of a year, it kind of started taking on life of its own and, and, uh, more and more people started listening and it just, continued to build up and build up and it's it's the craziest thing i just i can't believe it i just can't believe that any that people listen to it and i it's not because of me it's because of the guests that that people listen but it's just been a an amazingly positive experience and it's expanded my network it's expanded my just knowledge base and i really do think talking to all these inspiring people doing cool work is what one of the factors that led me to make the leap into full-time conservation and quit chasing dollars because all these interesting people I talk and I've talked to and never a single one of them has said, I'm doing this because I need to make money or because I want to make money. They're doing what they do because they're passionate about it. Some of them made a ton of money and some of them live in their car, but they're, they're all passionate about what they're doing and money is not what is driving them. And I, I really credit all these great people I've met with kind of, changing my perspective a little bit farther that allowed me to take the the, the leap into full-time conservation, which has been wonderful. Mm, I love that. And so logistically, was there a learning curve for you when you were stepping out and, you know, like getting your mic and like hearing yourself and getting your questions and all that? What was that? Was that confronting at all? Oh, yeah. I, I still don't listen to myself. I, I probably will you not listen don't? to this. No, you I can't know. do it. I hate, I mean, I got invited to Aspen Institute and I've been on C-SPAN. They're like playing my thing on C-SPAN and I've yet, I will not watch it. I cannot watch it. I can't. Dad, we need to talk, honey. Okay. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's, it's like fingernails. It, it makes what's, me, what's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like listening to myself talk. It's, uh, okay. but, but anyway, it's, um, my, my goal, I'm a big fan of Seth Godin. I don't know if you know who he is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, everything I've done a lot of business and a lot creatively I, I I give him credit for because and his his way of thinking and his whole thing is just go and don't make excuses, just start doing the work. And I went to Best Buy one day, bought a $99 microphone, my $89 microphone, plugged it in my computer and just started doing it. And and um I, I hadn't listened to the old one, so I, I couldn't tell you if they're awful, but I bet they're I bet they're pretty pretty bad. But you know, the, the whole idea is like, I'm just having conversation. I'm just, I'm just asking people questions and, and I'm genuinely interested. And there was no real reason. Um, it's not like I had any sponsors or anything like that. It's just, I'm doing it. And it's mine. I can do it however I want. And, um, and it, I, it's surprising looking back, it is kind of crazy that I, to put that out there like that. And I wasn't more worried about it. Um, but I just, I just kind of did it and kept doing it. and. Um, I think it's an example of if you just keep showing up and that's what Seth Godin says, you know, if you keep showing up and you keep producing work, if it's good, it will spread. If not, go back and try something else. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it, I haven't spent any money on advertising or anything and it's, it's definitely spread around and gotten me some pretty neat opportunities. So who, who would have ever guessed, you know? I know. I love it. I love how when we're willing to take the risk or a dare, like really push ourselves, you know, and just wait and see what opens up from that. And I love that he says that you just got to get going on it. That's like, can be the hardest thing. It's just like, you just got to get going, get yourself over that hurdle, you know? And, oh yeah, definitely. The yeah. gear is a distraction. And, and that's what a lot of the people I've talked to on podcasts, they're, I've talked to a lot of professional photographers and they all say, use your iPhone. Like it does, you know, the gear is not going to make you a professional photographer. 
um, it's, there's something else there. And, and so there are a lot of factors there, but I think gear is a huge dis- distraction. Mm-hmm. Well, it can also become an excuse, you know, where people exactly. are like, well, I've got to get this and this and this. And it's like, it's time to just do it because we'll always just try to get in our own way with things. But the more I find that you take those risks and those dares, the better you get at leaping in and just figuring it out. So I agree completely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So with that said, I always ask this, like, what's your dare right now for you, whether it's your professional life, your podcast, just personal, would you have a dare that you're putting out there for yourself right now? Um, I, let me think about that. I think, I think it's just to continue to be open to new experiences and new people. And, um, you know, it's easier said than done. And I think I've, I've done a lot with that. I mean, if you looked at me when I went to business school, when I started going to graduate school versus where I am now, pretty much on any, any metric. I mean, it, you look at what I'm doing for work, um, the pe- kind of people I hang around, what's important to me, physical fitness. I mean, it, the political leanings, it's just, it's all very, very, very different. And I think a lot of that is because of being willing to be open to new experiences and and not write write ideas off, you know, really explore ideas and uh, and and question things. And that's one thing I'm I'm really really drilling into my my oldest girl is don't take anything at face value. You just could question question ask why because a lot of times when you ask why, you realize there is no reason why, and you can do it however you want if if you if you're willing to work hard enough. And, um, and so I think that is, uh, that's the thing is, is be open to new experiences and and be curious. Um, mm-hmm. one of these billionaire guys that I met one time, who was, he's a really, he's actually a really good guy. And I know billionaire has baggage attached to it, but he said, he's a extremely good guy. And he said, the key to this is whatever you're doing is you need to w- be willing to work harder than anybody else and be more curious than anybody else. And, and I think that's really, um, that spoke to me and I continue to think about it, you know, over a decade later and, um, kind of rambling, but, but I think being open to experiences, being curious and working my ass off is, is, mm-hmm. uh, my wish for myself, I guess. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Okay. One more question I want to ask you. It just popped into my head. If you could have anybody on your podcast to interview, who would that be? Oh, man. They could be dead or alive. Oh, dead or alive, Theodore Roosevelt. No question. I knew you were going to say that. Okay. So that's the, I, who, but how about alive? Let's go alive too. Who would you ask? Well, one of the guys I wanted to have that was like my dream, Hampton Sides. He's an author I love, and he, I got invited um, up to to Aspen and interviewed him in front of all like five hundred people, nice. and so that was kind of a, a dream come true. Um, you know, I I've had. Uh, I've had so many people that I would have never thought like Pete McBride, the, the national geographic photographer. I mean, he's a guy that I've admired forever. And and I was just emailing with him yesterday about something else. And so it's, it's kind of like all these people that I admired from a distance and thought they were like, had this magic thing going on. I've realized that they're just cool people and they're just doing their thing and they're passionate about what they're doing. And it's kind of taken away some of that, the, the star power of people, because I've realized everybody's just, you know, everybody's just creative people doing their thing. And it's, it's kind of a, a refreshing way to look at people and realize nobody's got a, a secret sauce. They're just doing their thing, you know? Right. I love that. And I totally agree with you. And I think it is finding what is that thing. And you, you don't necessarily get to that one thing right away. Again, we talked about that as a personal evolution. So what you said is perfect, being curious, being willing to put everything that you've got into it, um, let go of the fears, even I'll just add that in and just continue walking forward, you know, so yeah, that's major. Major, major. Well, this has been awesome. I've just loved this conversation, getting to know you more. And um, I am sure that everybody has also really enjoyed it. I feel like we touched on a lot of different areas and you just have such an interesting life. And I feel like it's just going to open up even more as you continue to open. So 
Yeah, it's just, it's been awesome, Ed. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. You do a, a wonderful job, and I, I really admire what you're doing, and I appreciate you letting me come on and ramble for a little while. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. And we're going to post a Mountain and Prairie podcast in the resources section and places where you can find Ed. And I know you've done, actually, several sort of live interviews and things like that, which sounds really cool, too. So maybe people can find out where you're going to be next and things, too. So. Yeah, it's all there on the website. That's the best place for everything. Perfect, perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And I just really appreciate it. And um, any last words of wisdom or anything that you want to share before we sign off? I would say donate to your local land trust. Find out who's doing good conservation work in your in your area and give them a few bucks. Um, the the non, nonprofit world, if you're doing it right, you need to be on a shoestring budget. And so they are and every dollar counts. So they would they would definitely appreciate it. Uh, I can't tell you nature. I don't know if it's getting older. I mean, I always loved it when I was a child, like going out and building forts and being outside. There was something that spoke to my soul being in a wide open space. I went to camp, you know, and being out on the waters and the ocean and everything. And then now living in Marin, I need my forest walk. And I'm so grateful for this open space. And I agree with you. However, we can support that. However, we can keep beautiful open spaces that we can enjoy and wildlife and nature and everything. So thank you for all that you do. And um, yes, people, please, you know, see what is out there for you locally to be able to support and to give. So yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ed. And thank you, everyone, for coming and listening and sharing our conversation with you. And um, we'd love to answer any questions that you might have or any comments. So please feel free to leave those. It's so important that we are here spreading, you know, the word about what everybody's doing and how we're all being curious in our lives because the world needs you. So whatever that curiosity is that you have, whatever that passion that you have, it's important that you listen to that call because the world needs you. That's how change begins is with each within each each one of us. And so if you can really listen to that intuitive purpose and follow that and follow your own evolution, that's how we're going to get to that place of change and we get to do this together. So thank you so much for being here. I look forward to seeing you next time on the next episode of Truth and Dare. Namaste. Thanks for listening to the Truth and Dare podcast at www.camdenhook.com. Join us next time and let's adventure together.